This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. First and 10 at the 12. Ben in the shotgun. Hands it off, and that's Connor turning the right corner. Still on his feet, gets to the end zone. Touchdown, James Connor from 12 yards out. Knock on wood, we're pretty healthy right now. We had a really spirited practice today. Ben's fresh, so yeah, I feel really good. Performance like that last one, that sticks with these guys, they'll remember. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I know it because you see it in their eyes. Uh, just that alone isn't going to make a difference in the game. It's still going to boil down to assignments and doing things proper technique, fundamentals, and, and detail. Details of every little thing that potentially could happen in this game that you're prepared for. I believe that when we have our opportunity this week that uh, the expectation is we'll take advantage of them and, and be successful. That is new Steeler offensive coordinator Randy Feekner. Not new to the offense, however. As you know, he's been an assistant coach for a long time and then took over for Todd Haley. And one of the things we've noticed, I mean, the Steeler offense has been very good and was very good under Todd Haley. But one of the criticisms, they didn't do well enough in the red zone. They are doing much better. They are scoring touchdowns uh, nearly at a 11 to 12% higher clip than they did a year ago. Now, they have not reached the, uh, the red zone as frequently as they did last year. But when they do get in there, they're converting it into touchdowns. It's probably a good thing, Guy, the way Boswell's kicked mm. this year. But um, any thoughts on why? I mean, obviously Connor is in there for Le'Veon Bell. The, the really not much of a difference Well, I, I think personnel. It's, I think it's play calling. It, 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 I don't have a breakdown, but it seems like they run more inside the 20 than they did. They do. And even if they don't, I remember us distinctly talking about this in the summer when we were talking about Bell and Connor and using them together before we knew how long Bell was going to hold out. And the quote was, the thing we talked about, Connor's got to prove that he can be in there on first and second down. Bell's got to prove that he can be in there on third down. You know, he wasn't really getting those tough yards that you needed him to get on third down plays. Now you don't have that option. You got Connor in there, and I think that that's been a, a big part of the difference. A lot less passing. Look, we even, we're even seeing quarterback sneaks. Although I'm trying to remember the ones last week, I don't think any of those were in the red zone. But I think it just shows you a little more of the more a little more smash mouth philosophy than you had under Todd Haley. Um, undoubtedly, uh, that's always been a pet peeve of mine. First and goal at the two, and you're running flea flickers and reverses yeah. and that sort of thing. Fades. Uh, one of the things I think that helped get – I'm sure there was a lot going on internally with Todd Haley in Cleveland, and we saw some glimpses of that in hard knocks. And then based on what Hugh Jackson said, I'm going to get more involved in the play calling. But I, I go back to a couple of weeks ago – uh, in their game against Tampa Bay, which they lost in overtime on that 59-yard field goal. Believe me, if there's a way they can find a lose, they will find it. Uh, but they had the ball first and goal at the two. They run Nick Chubb for a yard. Okay, second and goal from the one, then automatically they they call for a pass um, with a rookie quarterback and one legitimate wide receiver. Incomplete. Third down, they try a quarterback sneak. And then fourth down, you know, they try a run again, or maybe it was vice versa. But, I, again, you know, to me, I'm taking four cracks with my running back. 
Well, and I, I really think that's what Hugh Jackson was talking about. Right. Well, look at last week, Stan. If you, uh, they ran all over. I mean, Steelers didn't. Steelers didn't have a first down in the first quarter. They were moving the ball, but they wound up with two field goals instead of touchdowns. It looked very familiar. And then I thought the turning point in the game was the missed field goal. I mean, that was yeah. the. You know, not the nine nothing is insurmountable, but it, right after that is when the air really went out of their offense. They stopped producing and. They had, had they had three really good drives at that point, and only had six points out of it, and that was that was the Todd Haley offense. Well, I totally agree about the play calling. I always, but I do. I will say this: I thought that Haley went in there almost looking. I, I would have thought that you Jackson might have been looking over his shoulder. There were rumors if they stumbled at all that Haley would be the next head coach. There is head coaching experience. I was a little surprised that he got thrown out as well that early, that soon, which makes you wonder: was this personality driven again? Well. I think that there was going to be a personality conflict with Todd Haley and Greg Williams. Um, and I think Greg Williams is the kind of – Greg Williams is not a good guy. Greg Williams is the author of Bounty Gate. Greg Williams got suspended for a year for that. And he's always had – he's got a personality very similar to Todd Haley. And I think the politics that go on, and they do. Oh, sure, and Greg Williams is sitting there watching Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley go at it thinking, hmm – there's going to be an opening here soon, and sure enough, boom, there it is. He'll explode, too. Uh, that's their problem. You don't have to worry about, about Cleveland anymore. Uh, but the, I think the thing, it's not even on the goal line, you know, first and goal from the two. To me, you don't want to go pounding your head against a brick wall. I get that. But I think the difference is too many times, and again, I'm not here to bash Todd Haley. I thought he did a really good job here, and I liked him personally. But I think where, where the tail of the tape is really held first and goal from the seven, from the eight. Today, people, well, I got a pass. No, you don't. You know, run on first down. Maybe you pick up four or five. Now, all of a sudden, if you're inside that five, you're down to four, second and goal. Now you've got them guessing. Well, if you throw incomplete, if you pass on first down, let's say from the seven, you're pretty much obligated to pass all three downs. Right. Well, somewhere. When the, as the league has become a more passing league compared to when, let's go back even to the seventies, OJ Simpson, you know, every team had a great running back. I, I think that somewhere there's an unwritten rule that okay, when you get inside the red zone, that doesn't change. You're still throwing the football. That never used to be. When you move the ball by running it, uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust in the past, it was just a more natural way to to attack once you got close to the goal line. Now I think, well, you know, we throw the ball. That's what we do. And a lot of offenses, the guys hardly ever line up under center anyway. Um, and I think that's sort of why you see what you see inside the 10-yard line even. Where the Steelers are really, they're 83 84%. We're not talking about scoring in the red zone. Touchdowns only. They're 84% at home yeah. getting touched. I mean, they get in the red zone at home. They're going in so far this year. I understand the the attraction of doing that because the closer you get to the goal line, the less field you run into, and all of a sudden, uh, if you're on the 5-yard line, in essence your field is 15 yards. Um and they have right. much less ground to cover and a smart defender will use the sideline or the end line as an extra defender. You you can't go out of bounds, you can't go over uh the end line. I think maybe one of the differences here is and they didn't have it all last year even though Vance McDonald has not caught a close-in red zone touchdown, let's say from the 10 in. Uh, I think his touchdown catch was, you know, a 17, 18-yarder. I'll have to check on that. 
But he well, he's got, doesn't have anybody to run over. He doesn't want to be bothered. Right, exactly. Well, you can always you know run over the ball guys and you'll stand <laughs> over the camera guy. Um, it, it, just his presence, the more Ben goes to him, the more you have to deal with him. Uh, and, and I think that is a factor that really was not a factor a year ago. Uh, that's one that I hadn't thought of and, and a good point. I think, like I said, I think so much of it is more of a, a mindset and a philosophy than it is anything else. And I, and the offensive line has really gelled nicely lately. That's been a big help in the red zone too. So um, I think all those things added up just are making for much more better red zone efficiency. And I probably shouldn't bring up Le'Veon Bell, but I will. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he's running out of time. And, and frankly, to me, uh, he's basically off the radar. But I wonder if there's some people who think that at this point, just stay away, go away, whatever, get a third-round pick, or you don't. By the way, that third-round pick wouldn't be till 2020 anyway. This team's window is open but closing. Uh, but it just seems to me that even with all that, personality aside, those issues aside, they're better with both Connor and Bell. And people said, well, how are they going to use – if you don't think for a minute that – Feekner and everybody else involved on the offensive side of the ball, including Tomlin, haven't already figured out what they'll do if or when he gets here while still utilizing James Conner as the main running back. Of course they know what they're going to do. Well, I heard your conversation on a show earlier this week about how silly you have to look at this. They're in the business of winning football games. You've got to take the emotion out of the – and I understand, you know, why Steeler fans right now just say, ah, hell, let him go, cut him, trade him, all the, all the, the knee-jerk reaction type. It, it, it's a business, and he is a commodity, and you've got to get the most out of that commodity that you can while he is still yours. And if he's not going to be yours, you've got to get the most for him that you can. And I, the thing that worries me about Connor, let's say uh, Bell doesn't come back at all, Stan – we're not even halfway through the season or halfway through the season. At some point, what if he gets hurt? I mean, we've had we've had he he had he's had two knees now. One is a pro and one is a college player. Le'Veon Bell hasn't been able to get through seasons without. And if you lose one of those, then you are in trouble when you're running. If you had them both, obviously you would at the very least, even if you even if Bell comes back and Connor remains your starter and continues to and can still produces, and you figure out a way to ease Bell back in and use them both, that's fine. But I sure would like to have both of them going into December rather than one praying that he doesn't get hurt. Well, they caught a break with D'Angelo Williams. But you look at some of the other running backs they've had. Of course, then he ended up getting hurt, and you end up with Fitzgerald Tucson or whomever in that Denver playoff game. People yeah. you know, forget it. They're talking about that. That fumble cost <clears throat> them a chance to advance. Yep, absolutely. Uh, they're better with both of them. Um, uh, you just you cannot react. Uh, fans can but uh, an organization cannot, and they'll handle this. They're not happy, but they'll handle this cool-headed because he could help them win a championship. Um, last thing, Guy, before we, we run out of time, uh, this is a huge game on Sunday. Um, this may not define the season for the Steelers. It could for Baltimore. Baltimore loses this. We had Stan White on yesterday, the uh, Ravens color guy, and he said, hey, um, four and five, you can forget the division. You might even forget making the playoffs. Um, do you have a feel for this game? I'm still struggling with it. Yeah, no, not real. I don't have a real strong one just because I haven't really uh, liked the way – I don't like the way they – I just gave you the, the red zone uh, percentages at home on the road. They're a little over 60. And they, ben has never been nearly – no teams are, but, I, I, you know, and 
I'm concerned a little bit because they've won three in a row. Baltimore's lost three out of four. You know how the league goes. Just when you think you got a team figured out, something comes back to bite them. I, I kind of like the fact that they're bringing up Flacco's comments after that first game, even if it's self-motivation and it wasn't that big of a deal at the time because what he said was mostly true. If it gives them a little bit of an added edge here. I think if I was going to lay, lay a little down on it, I think I would take the Steelers certainly with the three points, but I don't have a real strong feeling for it. I hate the fact that after this week you can't do anything yourself. I mean, the Cincinnati game by then will probably be decided. I, You know, we were talking last week. I went through the, the last seasons of, you know, one year they finished with three consecutive divisional games. Now you can play in NFC teams and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like them a little better than I don't like them, but I don't have a strong feeling for it. My thought is I think maybe some people uh, are dwelling too much on the first game between the two. Uh, and it, it, that's a better barometer than it is to compare scores or that with other teams and that sort of thing. But I also felt that Baltimore wasn't that good as they appeared uh, and that the Ravens then got overrated. I mean, they were considered a top-five team when they beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Um, now, the, they played well against New Orleans, but the Vaughn defense had a big lead and gave it back up, lost on a missed extra point, but they got trashed in Carolina. I think, frankly, the Steeler game maybe have made Baltimore look better than they actually are. I still think their defense is really good, and, and so that's a strength against the strength. Will the Steelers be able to put the points up they need to to beat them? Their point differential is the third best in the NFL, plus 60, plus 62, something like that. I, haven't checked it for a couple of days, but I mean it, it, that's uh, pretty impressive to me. But you know they've scored almost the same amount of points as the Steelers and given up far fewer. They lost to the Browns. End of discussion <laughs> <laughs> in overtime. Standing they only guy, gave up twelve points in the loss. They did. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's about. As, that, I think that's Cleveland's high. No, they got twenty-one against the Steelers, of course. Um, that's it for Standing Guy this week. Uh, we back on Thursday next week. We yes, think? we is. All right, Standing Guy brought to you by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. They got your backs, not your wallet. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just with the history between the two teams. The physical matchup, the intensity throughout the week, um, it's just like that rivalry. It's that rivalry week, and you just have it against the Ravens. Yeah, that'll always be the case. And the rivalry would be enough... Even if both teams were one and six, that's just the way it is. But this has special ramifications. Matt Williamson joins us now. Uh, this could define both teams' seasons, Matt. Yeah, and in a way, I think the last meeting kind of did too because those were crucial points for each of those teams that since they met last, they went in totally different directions. You know, Baltimore's yeah. really started to dwindle. Steelers are picking up steam. It kind of felt like after the Ravens loss that they kicked it into another gear. But now you get the Ravens, and I feel like they're an animal stuck in a corner. You know, that they need this game more than the Steelers. It's in their building. And I kind of feel like, and I hate doing it. I've been doing this so, so long that I hate saying things in November like, this is going to define the season, you know, because there's so much more football. But Whoever wins this game really has the leg up to win the division. Undoubtedly. By the yeah. way, I shouldn't say by the way. Matt Williamson's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way. It's 1956. Uh, I do agree that the uh, uh, Ravens need it more. They draw, I was talking with Stan White. Yeah. Um, they're, play, they're a color guy on their radio network and doing a scouting report. 
And he's right. They lose this one and drop the four and five behind the Steelers would be five, two, and one. That's a big mountain to climb. And Stan was saying, um, Stan, people, Stan's are smart. There's probably no other radio show in the country that had two stands on at the same time. It's not that Outstanding. common a name. Um, they would be in trouble to make the playoffs in the AFC if they dropped to four and five. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you look at the East, I really only think the Patriots are coming out of there. In the West, I think the Chargers and the Chiefs probably come up, so there's only one spot left. But the South is pretty rough. I mean, Tennessee or Jacksonville would really have to kick it into gear. So, yes, but I still probably would pick them to be the sixth seed if they lose because I don't like how Cincinnati's playing either. Yeah, no. Um I want to go back to that game on September the 30th. Uh, the Steeler losses, they were dominated in that game. Even the Kansas City game, they were right there. I mean, it was 28-28. Right. Uh, but they were totally dominated by Baltimore. And after that, I saw a bunch of ratings on ESPN and Sports Illustrated. They had the Ravens, the fifth-best team in the NFL. And I'll be honest with you, Matt, I did not think the Ravens were that good coming in. I still thought that they won the game, they dominated the game, but I'm wondering if we had a tendency to overrate the Ravens merely based on how they dominated the Steelers because we've seen now what's happened since. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I mean, I remember sitting here with you before that game going, yeah, their defense is ranked number one, but I don't know that it's the best defense in the league. And at that point, Flacco was, or they, the offense was 12 for 12 in the red zone. And I looked at the offense and thought, wow, this is a flawed group. And that's really starting to come to fruition. You know, that no running game whatsoever. No running game at all. They throw a high percentage of the time. And that's a bad formula with Flacco. They did it last year for much of the year, too. They threw an awful lot. The line isn't playing very well. Um, so, and they're kind of gimmicky on offense now, too. I think that's one of the reasons they traded for Ty Montgomery, is they can do a lot of jet motion and weird stuff with him. Lamar Jackson taking snaps. Uh, Dale had the point the other day that two games ago, they had 11 guys on their team with a carry. That's almost impossible to do. That's like every skill position guy that dressed almost was handed the ball at some point. Tight and, ends. And Lamar <laughs> Jackson is the second leading rusher. Right, right, right. Exactly. And so I do think their defense is very good. Um, I think people got a little excited about their defense after that 11-sack game against the Titans. And the Steelers have done that too. They feasted on an opponent and – um, but I don't think they have great pass rushers. I think it's a good scheme. It's a good secondary. And they're always great on special teams. And I do respect that organization. You know, like you back them into a corner, I think they'll come out swinging. I think Harbaugh's a good coach. Yeah, I, I expect that. Look, yeah. Uh, like I said, it, it, you know, if they're if you're five and nine and totally out of it, well, remember the year they were totally out of it. They they started uh, Mallet, that Ryan Mallet yeah, quarterback, right. and, and beat the hell out of the Steelers, <laughs> right. if you remember uh, if you remember that game. Um Jimmy Smith did not play in the game, the first game. He was still serving a suspension. Um, he's back now, although Stan White said he's not playing terribly no. well. No, he really isn't even playing like their number one corner right now. Humphreys, the first-round pick from a year ago. Alabama. Yeah, is really progressing well. But he's on the injury report. You know, they got a couple key injuries. Curious to see what happens the rest of the day with those. Um, so Smith used to be their one that would often travel. Now they're doing that with Humphrey. Um, I don't know if you do that with against AB or not. You know, but their slot corner situation isn't wonderful, though. I, th I think Juju has a good matchup, um, and they give up a lot of production to tight ends. But those big corners, Smith or Humphrey, 
I don't think they changed directions well enough to handle A.B., but A.B.'s numbers against the Ravens aren't great by his standards. Well, let's get back to the basics. Um, does this boil down to, not singularly, but partially, the Steelers have done a great job protecting Ben. Yeah. One sack the last three games, he almost never gets hit. Uh, is it going to be a matter of how well this excellent offensive line, at least in pass protection, uh, is able to deal with Suggs and the rest of them? Yeah, I think that's a big component because they're a very, very heavy blitz team, too, a high percentage of blitz. I think only the Cardinals blitz more than them this year. Um, however... Ben has killed the Blitz this year. I don't think that's been reported enough around here, but when people bring five or more, he has tore them up. And the line has a lot to do with it. I mean, it's a veteran group. They know where the Blitzes are coming from. They're smart. They're cohesive. So that's a big component here, too. Um, I look at the other side, too, though. I mean, they had two offensive linemen out last week, and Stanley got hurt, the left tackle. They could be, you know, either – fully healthy, or they could have five of their starters and hobbled, or they could be without three starters. And Yonde isn't what he used to be. And I think Tuid and those guys are starting to play a lot better that I think they're going to get to Flacco pretty consistently, especially as much as he throws deep, too. They throw they throw a lot, and they throw deep, and he does it poorly. <laughs> it's weird. They invested a lot in bringing new wide receivers yeah. in there. How has that worked out for them? As people know, I helped recruit Joe to Pitt, so I always kind of kept an eye on him. And one trend throughout his career, which has nothing to do with me bringing him to Pitt, is he's always had the deep threat. He's always had the Tory Smith. They always have a you know, he's always a big arm guy. That, and now that's John Brown. And I think Brown's as good as any of them have been. I mean, I think he's more than that. He's a really good player. But Joe's also always I always call it his Whoopie from the from Mister Mom. You know that he always had Mason or Bolden or. Some when it's third and seven, seven, everyone in the stadium knows that's who the ball's going to. Or one of the tight ends. Or one of the tight ends. Todd right. Heap and those Absolutely. guys. Absolutely. Yeah, he's always had the reliable move the chains possession guy. And I think that's Crabtree. But I also think oh, I also know only one team in the league has had more drops this year than the Ravens. So in Crabtree's, that's his big problem. And that goes back to Oakland, it goes back to San Francisco. So he's a quality player. But he's not as reliable as the guys have been in the past. Um, from what I understand, there's a good chance Hayden's going to go on Brown, and which I think is a good move. Um, and if Crabtree nickels and dimes you to death and drops one here and there, that doesn't scare me that much. But they also have four tight ends, and I don't know what their depth chart looks like. They use them all equally. It's weird. Yeah, they've been very disappointed in Hayden Hurst, although he's been hurt. Yeah, right. Um, he's got three catches all year long. Um, we talked about what's happened to them since. Uh, they lost to the Browns in overtime. Um, they, the thing about the New Orleans game, he pointed Justin Tucker missing that extra point. That's a fluke. That's Haley's every, Comet right, once every right. 86 years. Uh, but that having been said, this excellent defense, which is supposed to be the strength of their team and needs to carry them, they had Drew B- Brees down and out, and they gave up a big lead in the second half. And then they went down last week, and they got pounded by Carolina. They did. They did. And there's no shame in losing to Carolina or the Saints. I mean, I think the Saints are in contention for the best team in the league. But like you said, they got beat bad by Carolina. And they had a couple bounces not go their way and things like that. But they were clearly the inferior team. And that Browns loss doesn't look so great either. And a lot of it, to me, is on the offense. I mean, their their offense is really struggling, doesn't have an identity. Kind of like we mentioned before, you would think with that defense and special teams being like it is, that would be a pound the ball, you know, establish the run, go out of your way to build that. 
And because their passing game was so bad last year, they went out and got receivers and tight ends like we talked about. Like that the 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 running portion of their offense still needs addressed. And I kind of feel like it's a a rudderless sort of offense that doesn't have a real identity. And Flacco's not good enough for that. And that goes back to my initial question. Did we all have a tendency to overrate Baltimore based on how they manhandled the Steelers? Yeah, probably. At that portion of the season, I think I did a power ranks too and had them like seven or something like that. That's probably the highest they would be in a power ranks, you know, for the whole year. They were playing well, but yeah, I mean, to say that they were one of the best teams in the AFC was definitely premature. All right, let's flip it and talk about the Steelers. Three wins in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, they beat Cleveland, but it's a team they had struggled with initially. That's why, you know, you don't judge a team in September and say, well, that's the way they're going to be the rest of the year. Obviously, you know, both going in different directions. Um, Do you see the Steelers as having found their stride? Defensively, well, first of all, I think the, the bye came at a great time. They're very healthy, which I really think has helped the defense a lot that you get Sutton out of that big linebacker Burnett role because Burnett's back. You're using LJ Fort. You got you probably have 15, 16, 17 defenders playing serious snaps. Which By the way, is, just let me interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, I just wanted to mention this, that the Matt Filer is preparing to start again. Looks like is Gilbert, he? again, yeah. is out, adding to his percentage, coming up to 30% of in, uh, unavailability. Um, Artie Burns said he got first-team reps to – um, sprained an ankle in practice, but expects to be okay. We'll see if there's going to be a rotation. We'll get to that. But anyway, the Steelers, I want to get that injury stuff in. Yeah, for sure. And it is big news. Um, I think the defense is starting to find itself, the Steeler defense. It's a very good run defense, and they rush the passer extremely well. Um, Dale had some stats that when Hayden's healthy, the pass defense doesn't allow big plays. The points per game are way, way different. It's almost like a Shazier effect, you know, in terms of the defensive stats with and without Hayden. Um, I think Davis is kind of coming into his own, is, uh, you know, not allowing big plays. They're very good after the catch. But the key to me, too, is they're balanced on offense. And I know Ben's playing better, but he still misses a lot of throws and makes some decisions that make you scratch your head. That Not that he's at Flacco's level by any stretch, but he needs help, and you know, as well as that line's playing, like you mentioned before, is absolutely key, especially in the running game now. That's as good as I can remember them run blocking in the last couple of years. Yeah. The protection's always there. The protection's phenomenal. Um, but that brings me to the question. Like, when they played the Ravens the first time around, I very much believe the game plan was, we're not going to run at these huge defensive tackles. It's going to be a bend game. And we saw how that went. What do they do this year, this time? You know, are they going to try to run at those guys? I think that's the better move because they're running so well, but that doesn't mean it's going to work. Why is the running game significantly better? Is it all the change between Connor and Le'Veon Bell? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think Connor's playing very, very well, but I also said, I wonder what Lev Bell would have done to the Browns last week with those with that blocking. I mean, I'm sure he would have done just fine, you know, or better. Um I think the blocking's been exceptional, including the tight ends, Knicks, you know, some of the periphery guys. They're playing with some heavier personnel, kind of by default, because they don't have a third receiver right now. I mean, that's sort of an underreported story, too. That uh, Not here, it's yeah, not. It's, I mean, a, it's, it's a big issue. It is a big issue, and I don't think Washington's ready, and Hunter's too inconsistent. So they're playing with heavier personnel. Um, I'm curious how that works this week, too, because the Ravens love to play with a lot of defensive backs on the field. 
but they're so big up front too. I don't know that you're just going to muscle them with Knicks and Chooks and those guys either. We talked about this uh, earlier in the show, and that is the improved red zone performance in terms of converting touchdowns. Uh, Is it merely play call? I mean, it starts with execution, but why do you see the reason? Um, I remember when they were having all the problems, I was often asked, why are they having all the problems? And two things I would go to were, I do think Coach Haley tended to get cute in key situations, whether it's third and short or red zone or key situations. And I thought that was one, maybe his biggest fault as a play caller. I also think that as good as Lev Bell is, short yardage isn't what he's built for because he's a long-developing runner. He just doesn't hit it, and he's not Jerome, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, that it takes a second or two for him to even cross the line of scrimmage, let alone the goal line, or you're waiting for a guard to pull, and that's not really short yardage football nowadays. No, I mean, there's two of my hunches. You know what I mean? No, makes makes yeah. perfect, perfect sense. So as we uh, analyze everything, uh, what's your feel on this game Sunday? I haven't picked it yet, but I guess i got to do it eventually. <laughs> um, I really think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think that you look at it sitting here on paper and analyzing it all week, most of it leans towards the Steelers, especially at both lines of scrimmage, at the quarterback position. You're going to go to the intangibles, though, aren't you? I know. I just feel like this is a, a team that I think Tucker wins at 17-16 with a second left on the clock. You know, And I think it's just a game they need, and it's a nasty, down-to-the-wire Steeler-Raven battle. You know, just one last thing. It seems to me, yes, it's very important for the Ravens. It's probably more important to them. But I'm thinking about that game with Carolina Thursday night. Yeah, right. And that's why I'm ratcheting up the importance of the Steelers to win this game because you know Carolina plays Sunday too, and they're on the road and they have to come here. Mm-hmm. That's a benefit to sure. play a stupid Thursday game. But you know how both teams are after a Steelers-Ravens game. And I'm worried about them getting back up to play on Thursday night after going through this physical and emotional strain. Um, I think that means it's very important for them to win, to give them a cushion should they lose to Carolina. Yeah, because Carolina's a very good team. Yes, they are. I mean, they absolutely are. And and their offense gives you a lot to handle. Um, They're physical as well. I hadn't thought of the post-Ravens situation, but I do think that's a real thing over the years. Um, certainly better than going on the road on a short week. At least you're getting them here. You know, I kind of looked at the schedule and thought, well, that's probably about the best way you can play the Panthers is on if a you short have week here. Yeah. Right, you got them on the schedule. Um, but you're right, you know, I mean, they're going to be beat up, I'm sure. But they are, they are extremely healthy, knock on wood, although I guess this Gilbert news isn't wonderful either. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it next Friday afternoon. Yeah, right. Okay. I think I'm actually going to go to that game. Are you? It's been a while since I've been to one. I'll be there too. Till 2 o'clock in the morning, I might Oh, yeah, you got the post-game, post-game yeah. show. That's all right. I'll live. <laughs> Matt Williamson brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Flacco under center. Collins is the running back. He gets a fake. Flacco wants to throw it, has time, throws it long down the middle of the field. There's a man open, and he catches it on the dead run. And that is John Brown. And the Steelers can't get him to the ground, and he's all the way to the 10-yard line. Well, Ravens completely dominated the Steelers when they met a few weeks back. Uh, 
game. Uh, the score wasn't close, but it was wider than even the score indicated. Now the return match, this time, of course, in Baltimore Sunday afternoon. We're joined now by former NFL linebacker and longtime Baltimore Ravens color commentator on the Ravens Radio Network, Stan White. Stan, thanks for joining us. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, in fact, I just uh, walked out of a meeting where Jerry Sandusky, my uh, partner, was uh, delivering a keynote address. So, uh, uh, it's uh, we've been talking a lot about this game coming up, and you know what it's going to mean to both teams. Uh, for those who uh, wonder, that's not the Jerry Sandusky, uh, the infamous Jerry Sandusky. In fact, I think Jerry spells his name with a G, does he not? Yeah, he goes by Jerry with a G just because of that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Some some guy in the uh, uh, in the seminar was complaining he was getting confused with somebody else, and Jerry spoke up right away. You have no right to even say that when I'm here, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he's taken a lot of hits for that, that's for sure. Well, that the other Sandusky, of course, is, is a hot-button issue in this part. Uh, sure. of Well, everywhere, for that matter. Um, Stan, you're looking at the, at the Ravens, and they look like the team to beat in the division after they beat the Steelers, uh, but they've lost their last two. The, the, the game against... New Orleans was incredible because of the way it ended with Justin Tucker. Uh, that's a good Carolina team that you have to play on the road. Um, but did did the victory over the Steelers cause all of us to overrate the Ravens, or is this just a bit of a lull, or are we about to find out Sunday? Yeah, I think you're going to find out Sunday. I think, you know, these two teams get up for each other so much that uh, uh, it's hard to recreate. The next week they laid an egg after the Pittsburgh victory. Uh, so... Uh, they came back and, and won on the road against the Titans, and then they really had the Saints. I mean, they had held them to, they were ten point lead going into the fourth quarter. They had held Drew Brees to seven points for three quarters, and it just fell apart. And for the last five quarters, it changed everybody's thought on the Ravens from maybe a top five team if they'd have beaten the Saints that day uh, to a team that's middle of the road at best and, and struggling to stay. They even in playoff contention at this point. Stan, I'm glad you brought the New Orleans game up because they televised that game in Pittsburgh. Um, that was a Steeler bye week, as I remember. In any event, uh, people focus on the Justin Tucker miss, which was just astounding. Um, frankly, I left the room to go to the bathroom. Figure, well, you know, I just you know I'll be back, and then uh, you know they'll go to overtime. I uh, couldn't <laughs> believe I missed it. Um, but the thing about it is they did have a lead, and if we consider that Baltimore's stock in trade is indeed their defense, not to discount the offense, but defense is the way they've been winning football games, um, was that particularly disturbing? And then to go out and give up the amount of points they gave up to Cam Newton and the Panthers. What's disturbing about the, uh, the Raven defense for several years now has been, they've been hot. I mean, last year they led the league in turnovers, uh, and interceptions, fumble covers, turnover differential, all those things. Uh, and this year they're the number one defensive team, but they've had problems at the end of the half, at the end of the game. And when, even when they get to overtime, they lost to the Browns on a drive at the end. The Browns scored three times at the end of the half, end of the game, and the end of overtime. Those times, and you remember last year, uh, 39-38 game. Uh, the Steelers came back from what a nine-point deficit late in that game. Yeah, uh, with a late drive with a, a minute left that went right down the field, and Antonio Brown stretches out for a touchdown. They've had problems winning games with defense. So I don't care what your stats are. I don't care any of that stuff. Defenses are great defenses when they win games. They stop the other team when your team's ahead in the fourth quarter. 
and put a and put a W up in the win column. And this team has has struggled to do that. They've done everything else right defensively, but they've had a hard time doing that. Stan White, former NFL linebacker, who is the longtime radio analyst on the Ravens Radio Network, is our guest here on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. When the Steelers played Baltimore, not that it mattered, but the Ravens did not have Jimmy Smith. Um, how much of an impact, again, we're talking about how the defense has played here the last couple of games, how much, if at all, uh, has he had on the defense? Well, he's really struggled as he come back. Now, here's a, a guy who's you know been in the league eight years, and he's coming off an Achilles uh, uh, tear and, and repair. Uh, so I guess you can't expect him to come in and be what he was. Last year, he was an all-pro. He did a great job against Antonio Brown. He has in the past. But he's struggling right now to regain the form that he's had. You, you really never know at that point in your career, uh, you know, after an injury, if you can reco- recover, especially a defensive back who depends upon speed and, 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 and quickness and things like that, uh, if he could ever get back to where he was. And that's the question here. He struggled in the New Orleans game. Uh, he struggled last week against Carolina. Uh, but they need him. Especially with Marlon Humphrey having an injury, uh, injury problem and hasn't played for a couple weeks, uh, he's very intricate to, to the Ravens possibly beating the Pittsburgh Steelers because we know Pittsburgh's a different team. I think they ran for like ten yards against the uh, the Ravens last time. We know that uh, uh, James Conner is running the ball very effectively now, and that's going to make him a lot tougher to beat. Yeah, James is really, he's had three 100-yard games with two touchdowns each. The first player in Steeler history uh, to ever do that. It's kind of remarkable mm. when you stop and think about it, given what they expected to have with Le'Veon Bell, who's still, you know, on the back of a milk carton somewhere. We have no idea where he's at. Um, one more thing about the defense. One thing that has been true is that the Ravens continue to uh, lead the NFL in sacks. Has that been a constant, even if the defense itself has been inconsistent? Well, it hasn't been. They've only, they had 11 sacks two weeks ago, and then one against Drew Brees and none against Cam Newton. Wow. So, you know, you lead the league in sacks, but you got almost half of them in one game. So that's, that's maybe an outlier stat at this point because of that. Uh, they've done, they've, you know, up until that point they had been, doing well with the pressure. The last two weeks, they have not gotten any, and it's, it's become a major concern because, you know, if, uh, uh, if you can't get and pressure Ben Roethlisberger, uh, the more time you give him, the deeper the ball is going downfield and the more problems Brown and Smith-Schuster are going to give you. So uh, uh, it, that's going to be the key to the game. Number one, stop the run, force him into passing situations, and then being able to get some type of pressure on, uh, on Big Ben. You know, Ben has only been sacked once in the last three games, and that was uh, this past week in Miles Garrett, uh, who's just a beast. Uh, you've seen yeah. him. Uh, he's unbelievable. But they've done a great job protecting him. Uh, let me switch over to the offense. Um, uh, you're looking at the, you know, the running game, um, this is not on the running back himself, Alex Collins, but only 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, the second leading rusher is Lamar Jackson. We understand his role. What, what, if anything, has been the issue with the running game? Well, uh, it starts with the uh, offensive line, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, you talk about being, with you guys protecting Ben and now being able to run the ball, your offensive line's in a lot better shape than it was when the Ravens played him a few weeks ago, and the Ravens' offensive line is in horrible shape right now. I mean, they got everybody hurt, not practicing. 
James Hurst was out last week. Uh, Alex Lewis was out last week. Ronnie Stanley got hurt. He came back in, but he hasn't been practicing. Uh, you know, without an offensive line, I don't care how good the running back is. I don't care how good the wide receivers and quarterback is. If you don't have an offensive line to give you opportunities to make plays, you you have very little chance at all. You can just throw the ball up and hope, and that's uh, uh, that's what they've had to do at times. And the running game has has really been a problem all year long. In conjunction with that, Baltimore quarterbacks, both Flacco and Jackson, have been sacked almost two times a game. Um, so obviously, not only the running game, but the pass protection apparently has been an issue as well. Well, when you can't run, it becomes even harder to pass protect. Yeah. Because, you know, in this league, when you talk about Miles Garrett, and almost everybody has, you got T.J. Watt who's having a good year. Uh, you got a lot of guys that can rush the passer. Cam Hayward, the good Ohio State boy out there, he can rush them, that's for sure. Uh, so if, if you don't have to worry about the run, I mean, when you play defense and you know the play is either a pass or a run, boy, you've got an advantage. So that's what you, that's why you try to put yourself in situations either by finding some type of tip that'll tell you what it is or putting them in down in distances where you know. And, uh, they've had a, uh, you know, they've had a problem doing that. And uh, if they can't protect, uh, Flacco and they can't run the ball and get him in a good situations, then, that makes it even more problematic for that offensive line. You know, I'll ask you about Joe Flacco. His quarterback rating is 85. I'm going to guess, Stan, that's below, uh, perhaps substantially below, his career average. I mean, he's you know, been a much better quarterback than that. He's completing 61%. But it interests me that, that his yards um, per attempt is only 6.5 yards. That, that seems incredibly low. Yeah, it was, except the fact that it was only five points something last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> when, he did, when he didn't have any receivers at all. At least he's got some receivers this year. Uh, you know, they, they, John Brown, you remember what he did against the Steelers last time. Yep. Uh, you know, Will, uh, Willie Sneed, and, and uh, you know, he's got some guys he can throw the ball to. Michael Crabtree, he's got those guys. The guy that really needs to come on for them is their first-round draft choice, Hayden Hurst, who has been sitting out, only caught one or two balls so far. Uh, he had a really good preseason. Then got he broke a bone in his foot and is coming back. If they can get him involved, because Joe's always had Todd Heap and Dennis Pitta and those type of tight ends that he really liked to throw to in critical situations, and he hasn't had one for a couple years. So uh, if he can come on, he'll really make those other guys better. But again, if you don't, if you can't block people, uh, you know everything we're talking about really is is null and void. You know, I'm I'm uh, intrigued by Lamar Jackson. Everybody understands his specialty. Um, just drawing back on some experience, and I, I probably shouldn't compare the two, but it seems like it's an analogous situation. When the Steelers began employing Cordell Stewart more than 20 years ago uh, in the slash role, if you will, after a while, people, <laughs> defense has got the idea. When he was in the game, here's what to look for. And I'm wondering if there has been a law of diminishing returns with Lamar Jackson once people understand when he comes in the game, what's likely to happen next. I don't think so. I think I, I actually think this is the way the NFL is going because of so many guys that are getting out of college. I mean, if Drew Brees, the all-time leading uh, yardage-wise passer in the history of the NFL, if they can put in Taysom Hill and – uh, for six, seven, eight plays, nine plays a game, either with him or at quarterback, uh, to help their running game get going. 
I don't, I mean, it seems like a lot of teams are doing that now. They're bringing that guy in just to loosen up the defense and see if they can get their running game going, their play action passing game going. And when you're, when those are the type of players that are coming out of college, you know, uh, you, you, and you have them on your roster, you got to find a way to use them and use their skill set. And I think that's the way they're doing with Lamar Jackson. I know Joe Flacco isn't thrilled about it, but if it helps your offense, with, especially with a, a banged-up offensive line, because having a quarterback like that essentially gives you one more blocker uh, because they always have to worry about him with one of their defenders. So uh, I think it's the way a lot of teams are going with the skill sets they're getting on their teams. Well, you won't have to worry about Ben doing that, so you can, you know, you can, you can, you can. Yeah, but the next quarterback, you may have to, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, uh, uh, well, if you see Josh Dobbs in the game, you know the Steelers are, are in big trouble. Just a couple more things for you, Stan, and we'll let you go. Since you mentioned so many injuries, what is the latest based on, you know, practice yesterday, practice today? Um, what, what can we expect, who to see and who we may not? We don't know. I mean, Alex Lewis and James Hurst, they keep saying it's day-to-day, but they keep end up not practicing. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, the same way. He, like I said, he went back into the game after he hurt himself, but, you know, sometimes you can do that, and the next day all the swelling and everything flares up, and it becomes another week before you're ready. Uh, you know, the trainer and the doctors may be the most important people this week for the Raiders, getting these guys ready to play, because not only you got to play, you got to be able to play effectively. You know, you can't go in there at 50% or 60% and, and play in the NFL. So uh, it's a real issue right now. They have, they have, I think, seven or eight guys who didn't even practice yesterday, and three or four of them were maybe, maybe even more, maybe five of them were offensive linemen. So they're, they're really struggling. Uh, they've had really good uh, success so far with injuries, but it seems like they all hit. And they got a bye week next week. So if they can get through the Pittsburgh game, uh, it's a it's a perfect time to have that buy. All right, last thing for you, Stan. We were t- talking about this game coming up, and I don't care if the Ravens are one and eight or eight and one. Uh, they're always up for the Steelers. I can't say the same about the Steelers, uh, but the Ravens certainly will be. Uh, is the talk there that not only Pittsburgh makes it a big game, but the fact that the Ravens are four and four, they lose this one. And the Steelers jump to five, two, and one. Their chances of winning the division are severely limited if they don't win this game. Oh yeah, and the chance of making the playoffs at all are, are thrilled. They look at it as a, a a fork in the road type of game for them. Yeah, they're they're playing like they're looking like, almost like it's a playoff game, but they have to win to stay in the race. And uh, uh, they do do a good job of getting up for Pittsburgh. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, right after Joe Flacco got hurt, they brought in Ryan Mallett and. He had only been there like 10 days, but they got up enough to beat the Steelers in, in Baltimore that yep. year. So it's always a game. It's, I mean, I don't care what the records are. Uh, it's, I mean, I came from Ohio State, Michigan. It's always the same way. Uh, for, 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 the, for here in Baltimore, everybody wants to win Pittsburgh. And I remember that year when Ryan Mallett beat them. They didn't make the playoffs. They were under 500. But everybody in town said, well, at least we beat the Steelers. Yeah. You know? so that, that, that was the uh, consolation of the season. Yeah, it's Michigan, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama, Pitt, Penn State. That's the same same kind of same kind of thing. Stan, I always appreciate the time. Really enjoy it. Thank you so much for spending uh, this amount of time with us. Okay, anytime, Stan. All right, take care.